Hello, hello, this is Lauren. And this is James. And you're listening to He's, He's Kind of Funny. Shoo up! <laughs> Everybody, welcome back to another episode of She's Kind of Funny. I'm James. And here's and Lauren. And this is Lauren. <laughs> I am right here. Right here. And we have a special, special guest this week, guys. Uh, Lauren, do you want to do some yes. introductions? Yes. Yeah, so. Ferrari, first of all, how badass is this name? I know. Truly. Um, he <laughs> messaged me on Instagram a little bit ago. Uh, I'm going to let him do the big introduction, but he is an author and a retired NYPD cop. I have so many questions. I'm so excited for this for this episode, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Vic Ferrari. I'm a retired 20-year member of the New York City Police Department. I got into uh, I almost said I got into acting. I got into writing. <laughs> I'm a Bronx kid, born and raised. I could and never I, tell from the accent, you know. I just never would have guessed. <laughs> you know, it's funny. After I moved down to Florida, and I realized I was the one that sounded funny. Um, <laughs> I did a 20-year career with the New York City Police Department and got into writing books. And it's just been a wild ride because coming from law enforcement, there's not a lot, a lot of us that really get into writing. Cops tend to keep things to themselves. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a shot at doing this. But what got me into police work was when I was a kid, my mother used to take me to the movie theater, like on a Saturday to see Herbie, the love bug part three or whatever. Yes. (laughs) Around the corner from the police, around the corner from the movie theater was a police station. So at a very young age, I was fascinated by the cops. And I used to look at the police cars and every little boy's attracted to that gun. And I was like, you know what? I want to get my hands on one of these things. Mm-hmm. By age 10, I used to go into the uh, post office and steal wanted posters. The FBI's most wanted <laughs> posters. And then, like, that seems a little backwards. I don't know. Yeah, well, Amazing. You got, a, you, got, you got a bunch of 10-year-old boys running around the neighborhood with stolen FBI wanted posters, right? <laughs> yeah. I would like go so, into like, the local deli. Yeah. And I'd go into the local deli, right? And I'd be like, you know, there's some poor, you know, telephone repairman getting his getting his uh, Italian combo with a deli. And I'm looking at him <laughs> with this piece of paper. Some guy wanted for a fucking bank robbery in Dallas. Yeah. Could be this fucker right here. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's Tell amazing. me what you know. Tell me what you know. He's like, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm on my break right now. You're pretty oh much. So by 20, I, 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 um, I took the test. I became a New York City police officer at the age of 21. I did it for 20 years, uh, 15 wow. out of 20 years. I was in plainclothes units. I did everything from anti-crime, which is robbery in progress, pickpockets, breaking into stolen cars. I worked in a DUI unit for a while, which I absolutely hated. Yeah, I worked I in narcotics for a while. I bought drugs. I wasn't like a, a deep undercover, but I did mm. do a couple of um, hand-to-hands out in the street. And my last oh, cool. 10 years, I was a detective in the auto crime division. So anything with chop shops, exporting stolen cars out of the country, uh, mafia-run locations in New York, which there was no shortage of. I did that oh. for my last 10, and then I retired and got into writing books. Literally wow. sounds like... Like if, if someone's like, tell, tell me about a cop from New York. He was stealing stuff when he was six and trying to find drugs. <laughs> and he was so going to chop cool. shops and buying drugs. <laughs> so that's why he was in the service. <laughs> well, there's a fine line between the cops, that, the, the cops that are worth anything. They were usually little delinquents before they got hired. Yeah, wow. this wow. is so cool. So thank you for your service. First yes, of all, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah. So I have a really um, 
you're going to think it's a dumb question, but I'm so curious to ask you. So you watch TV and you see cops on TV. It's like doctor show, you know, how off is it? Or do you watch and you're like, okay, it's, eh. is it ridiculous? Yeah. Or is it like me? <laughs> well, yeah. All right. So, I mean, one of the reasons I became a New York City police officer was growing up in the Bronx watching television, right? I, I used to watch mm-hmm. all the cop shows and detective shows. Um, but then once you get, you, you know, you're in there and you're doing things, it was totally different. I, I always tell right. the story. I was a rookie cop right out of the academy. They dropped me off on a foot post in the South Bronx. And I'm on a street corner and literally the whole block is, you know, as far as the eye can see, 30 to 46 story walk up apartment buildings that are burned out. No one's living in them. And I I got hired in the middle of the crack epidemic in the Mm -hmm. 80s. So this fucking crackhead's walking around with shit they stole from burglaries and you're trying to sell it to me. You know, (laughs) crazy shit. And I'm like, genius. Yeah. And like, I don't speak Spanish. Like I took remedial Spanish, like in fifth grade. Right. (laughs) And I'm saying to myself, what the did I get myself involved in? Like, yeah, I grew up in the Bronx and I thought I was a tough kid. But, you know, it it, it really humbles you because it's a different world out there once you go into these bad neighborhoods and and you're and you're. Mm -hmm. You know, tasked with doing a job. Yeah, and also when I you feel add like crack to it. And yeah, you add crack to the mix <laughs> and stir it up. It really gets weird. But I was going to say, you're not heroin. Just, yeah, and, and heroin. heroin. <laughs> you're not just walking around though. You're also in like a uniform, and you like are become like a target. Like you are able to be spotted a mile away. So it's not just yeah. Like you can yeah. be a tough guy, but you know, ten against one is 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 very yeah. difficult. No matter how tough you are, you know. You got to pick your spots. You know what I mean? You know, if if you learn early on, you go up to a street corner and you're acting big and bad, you got to know who you're messing with and Mm -hmm. how far Mm -hmm. the cavalry arrives. Like there were guys that would start shit and then they get on that radio and call for the cavalry. But that gets old quick because then guys get tired of responding. Right. Right. Like every time this fucking guy's got this foot post on this corner, you know, it's lights and sirens there every 15 minutes because he doesn't talk to people. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. You get further with honey than vinegar and, and you learn how to talk to people, even even the scumbags. Yeah. You know, if you treat them with respect, it's like, bro, what's it going to take? Come on. No congregate. Come on. Get the fuck out of here. As opposed to, you know, you're going in there and, and waving you, a you gun around. And yeah, that I can seems imagine. so stressful. I, I know you said you did multiple different things. What was your I know you have sucky days, so it's not like every day is the best day ever. What was your favorite if you had one? of all of the stuff you did? Oh, the auto crime division. And I was lucky enough to work in a place where I really wanted to work. Like I strive Mm -hmm. to get there. I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood where stealing a car was a rite of passage. Mm -hmm. No, I wasn't a car thief, but I worked in a gas station in the 80s. And all the guys (laughs) would be coming in with stolen cars and broken steering columns, looking to sell the car, looking to sell parts, Mm -hmm. trying to get the mechanics to fix the stolen car. So I knew from an early age what to look for. Even before I got into the auto crime division, I was always one of the guys in a car chase. And I was in probably over 100 car chases. Oh, my gosh. And these are the real ones with explosions and cars flipping over and (laughs) Autobots and Decepticons and all that. Uh, I mean, you know, running people off the road. Yeah, I mean, it it happened. Um, That's wild. I loved every every minute of it. But I would say the auto crime division, my, my 10 years there was the most enjoyable. If you want to know what I hated... So early yes, on, do. so yes. when you're a rookie cop, you have no say in your assignment. It's almost like your first day in prison. Mm-hmm. You got to be careful <laughs> who you follow around, and everybody's <laughs> trying to fuck you over. 
literally and, in prison though at least you got that call well yeah, you're not for, right I, I wasn't afraid to take a shower in the locker room but at the yeah. same time right in new york this was the 80s okay no yeah well yeah but like in new york when somebody dies in new york like in their apartment let's just say some an old lady drops dead in her apartment the police respond and it's called sitting on a doa and you've got to stay there with the mm. deceased until the medical examiner comes and mm. that can take 12 hours and you're in an oh, apartment with a dead person and their family sometimes to, to say suspicious death or not suspicious death. Uh, you, know, you can call the funeral home or we're going to take the body and do an autopsy. And I remember like early on, you'd go to these apartments where, you know, the neighbors are complaining about a foul odor and somebody mm -hmm. died inside there and they've been dead for sometimes weeks. Mm -hmm. And it's the worst thing in the world because what happens is your body is filled with gases, you know, mm -hmm. your heart and everything else. And when, and the bigger the person, the bigger the mess. And sometimes people will die in their bed or on a couch or something and they blow up. It's, mm -hmm. They look like oh. a lupa from like Willy Wonka in the chocolate <laughs> factory. But you've got to search them to see if they have identification or any valuables on them. So we used to, I learned early on, you had to throw a sheet or over them and kind of give them a nudge and then get mm -hmm. them back and they pop. And oh then you put gosh. on the latex gloves, and then, and then you got it's, oh. it's going through. Oh, <laughs> that's God. that it's sounds like a rite of passage for the new that, guy. Hey, go touch the dead body and see what happens, yeah. guys. We and could do an entire pod. We could do an entire podcast of morgue stories. Oh I, my I, God. I know a guy that moved a dead body to, to get out of work in overtime. I mean, I got so many stories. <laughs> you guys point me in a direction, and I'll go. Oh, we're I just we're um, we're gonna go everywhere. We're gonna go here. We're gonna yeah, go everywhere. <laughs> So another thing you guys asked me was what I hated. So out yeah. of my 20 years with the New York City Police Department, 17 out of my 20 years, I had to work Times Square during New Year's Eve. Oh, my so, oh gosh. So you know, your friends and family, is, you know, they're having New Year's Eve parties and they're doing things. I get in uniform. I've got to be down at Times Square by 1, 2 in the afternoon. You're freezing your ass off. And when mm -hmm. you see on television, when they show from above all those people like you know, orderly. Congested. And mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, it's no, it's it's such bullshit. They're packed in like fucking cattle because each mm -hmm. city block has these wooden pens and they get forced in there. There's no place to go to the bathroom. There's not no restaurant. Oh my gosh. Bathroom. And I've seen people are pissing and shitting in the crowd, <laughs> tampons, vomiting oh. on each other. You name oh. it, it's it's like Calcutta in there. Bring your own diaper. Yeah. Oh man. And then when it's over, right? The ball drops and all the confetti and shit. <laughs> the all shit the drops. You're in. <laughs> You're the in the piss, the blood. Oh. Yeah. And then all the hood rats from the Bronx, Brooklyn, upper yeah. Manhattan, they come down. They're as sober as a judge. And it's like watching the Discovery Channel with the hyenas. So they come down, they're sober as a judge, and they're watching all the drunks, and they're like, This motherfucker's got a brand new iPhone. She's got a camera. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and, and yeah, there's 5,000 cops down there, but we can't watch everybody. And yeah. they just follow people. They follow them I mean, off the path yeah. and they get robbed. It's the best time to do it. I think about it. Yeah, they're beyond drunk at this point. They've been packed full of people. They don't care. They just want to get home. Oh, yeah. that sounds disgusting. <laughs> James, do you have any questions? Yeah, I'm. this is so entertaining. This is like, yeah, I don't know. Just listen. Yeah, you whatever questions yeah. you have, Lauren, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm eating this up. It's like so my experience is sorry. I was gonna say because like my no, experience, I I lived in Ecuador for two years, and my experiences oh. with dead bodies was very different than like 
I was called to a scene. If I ran into a dead body, I immediately ran the opposite direction. I didn't have to sit there with it. So like all these, it's like, yeah, I, yeah, I saw dead people and stuff, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't have to go touch them and, and watch them yeah. explode and stuff. It was very like, yeah. Oh, that opposite with their direction. family. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there Did was no cops had... there to call, but yeah. <laughs> Did you say you had to wait those 12 hours with the family to get the approval? Or that you could leave in yeah. that time. Yeah. Well, sometimes. Oh so say somebody. So, uh, I had one. Then this is a real. There was a guy. There was a sergeant. This is from one of my books. We used to call him Roast Beef Ray because all this fucking <laughs> guy did was eat a roast beef sandwich. So the NYPD is like the mafia with nicknames. We had Bobby Bagels. He owned a bagel shop, and the nicknames go on. He, and he looked like, he, and he used to have a fake tan. He looked like a burnt Bialy. But anyway. <laughs> Roasty Ray was this miserable, drunken sergeant that he just was a nasty guy. He was from mm-hmm. another era. You know, he was like pushing 60 and he just was, for whatever reason, he liked me. And whenever my partner took the day off or went on vacation, he would grab me to drive him. And I fucking absolutely hated it. So one time. Like you're my friend. Second, oh, yeah. Yeah. My new BFF. Roasty Ray. <laughs> and. One, one time, uh, a sector car, another sector car gets called to a DOA. So I'm driving the sergeant. He goes, let's swing by there. And middle-aged, overweight man, he died on the toilet. And Classic. Oh what a gosh. way. Was his name Elvis? Well, it, gets, it gets worse. He <laughs> dies on, his sister found him. Sister hadn't heard from him for a couple of days. She comes in. She finds her brother deceased on the toilet. His pants are down to his ankles. And there's a Playboy laying there half open. Oh my God. That's something we would talk about in the locker room afterwards, not in front of the guy's sister. And Roast Beef Ray <gasps> can't get enough no. of this. He's like, Can you believe no. it? He died beating his meat on the bowl. And I'm like, <gasps> I'm like, in oh, front shit. of his sister? The guy's sister. Yeah, she's in the next room. I mean, you'd have to be oh. a fool not to hear him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. he's got roast, food, roast beef Ray. He can't keep it down. You know, he's talking about meat constantly, beating it, eating it, all that stuff. You know, he can't oh, help it. <laughs> Oh, they f- with him so bad. Like they, they called the, um, on the holidays. They called the local funeral home and they sent it to his house with his family there to pick up his oh. body. But he was still alive. Oh. So they, the pranks would go back and forth. And then when Roast Beef oh Ray died, when Roast Beef Ray died about a year after he retired, a bunch of the cops in my precinct, again, not me, found out where he was buried up in upstate New York. And they mm-hmm. went up there and threw a party and pissed all over his grave. So <gasps> oh my, oh my God. Oh my God. God. Did they do, uh, did they cater his funeral with roast beef? Oh, they found out afterwards in the NYPD, there's this magazine called spring 3100. And I guess it's an NYPD magazine. And I guess through the pension section, when someone dies, the pension check stops coming. So your name appears in the back of spring 3100. It's almost like an obituary. So like every two or three months when the magazine comes out on the back page, you've got all the deceased and where they work. I remember someone going, hey, roast beef where he died. I'm going to go find out where he's buried. <laughs> oh, my God. A what a day. Great. Oh, man, I can just imagine, like, present arms. They whip it out. All right. Well, here's a, here's a funny thing. So this this is from one of my books, and there's way more to the story. But one of the guys in the book, Roast Beef Ray, used to fuck with all the time. So here we are 20 years later. I'm writing um, the NYPD's Flying Circus, Cops, Crime, and Chaos. And I remember this cop who really had a problem with Roast Beef Ray. So I grabbed my cell phone. And I looked through my contacts and I still got this cop's phone number in there. I haven't mm-hmm. spoken to the guy in 20 years. I, I hit the button and I recognized his voice instantly. And I said, mm-hmm. 
I can't say his name, but I say his name. I go, mm -hmm. is this so-and-so? And he goes, yeah, who's this? I go, it's Roast Beef Ray. And he goes, what? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> back dead. to get you, you little back from That's it. exactly <laughs> what I said. I said, you little cocksucker. I says, I'm back <laughs> and I'm coming. I'm back from hell and I'm taking you with me. And I hung up and he kept calling. Who is it? Who is this? I demand know it. And I let it go on for a while. So finally I was like, dude, it's Ferrari. And he goes, you motherfucker. He goes, I know he's dead and I know it can't be him, but I'm like, who the fuck is fucking with me like 20 years after the fact? Oh my. Who knows? Yeah. That's some Scooby-Doo shit right there. Yeah. Oh Nothing my like a good morale piss on your old co-worker's grave situation. Wait, did you say he was a sergeant or was he just like a, a captain? Ray was a sergeant. Sergeant. Okay. Oh my gosh. Yeah, working his way up that ladder. Yeah, and back down again. Oh, the wow. good coffin. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, um, okay. that's that's what. So, which book are you referencing? Because you have you just mentioned it. What is it called again? Oh, you know what? I think that story is from NYPD through the Looking Glass. Stories from inside okay. America's largest police department. Okay. What was the name so you said you before, have... though? Because the other one was a magical title that I think needs to be. Uh, heard oh, again. Uh, the NYPD's Flying Circus: Cops, Crime, and Chaos. Yeah, where did yeah, you come so up we'll, with that? We'll post these guys. We'll post that's, these so you can. It's, it's, oh, for sure. It's the last thing I do with every book. I'm writing an NYPD book now, and I have no idea what the title is. I struggle with it because I know marketing-wise, the best thing is to have NYPD in the front of the title mm -hmm. because it sells. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? So that's I always struggle with that. Yeah. Do you have – is it six books I saw, or do you have more than that? No, I've written six. I'm, I'm working on my six. seventh now. Okay. okay. Very cool. Yeah, he I has saw one called Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's auto crime division, is everything you wanted to know about the stolen car industry. It's it's yeah, it's my ten years in working in the auto crime division. It's about cases that I worked. It's about you know a, a car thief's mindset. Uh, mindset. What happens after your car gets stolen? Who steals your car? What happens to it? And just the sophisticated scams and things that people use to steal your car. So if you're mm -hmm. decide, if you're planning on moving to New York, one get that book, two don't buy a car and take the subway. Just yes, who has I'm a sure car? That's disgusting in itself. Did you have uh, any subway issues? You had to hop on and break up fights. I don't know anything like yeah, that. So I mean, we had transit police, which are NYPD members. I didn't work in transit, but yeah, you chase people into the hole all the time. And what people don't realize is. Like this fucking rats down there, like the size yeah. of toxins, you know, flying around oh. down there. And a lot you got homeless people living in the tunnels. And what people don't realize is down in the subway, there's a third rail, which it's it's electrified that makes the train go. And there's a oh. wooden, like a little wooden bullshit barrier above it. But that that thing rots sometimes or it breaks. And you get homeless people that get electrocuted down there all the time. And sometimes oh. you'll get a homeless person taking a piss. And they'll <gasps> piss on that third rail, and the electricity will come oh. right back up and blow their dick off and kill them. Oh my! What a way to go! And then you got uh, <laughs> what'd you say, Beef Frank Joe, whatever Rose his Peter. name is. He was Beef Frank, being like, I pissed on the thing, and he oh blew his gosh. dick off, and his mom's there crying. And oh man, <laughs> I can imagine, family. I can see it, I can see the scene right now. Roast Beef Frank had no redeeming qualities. <laughs> oh, oh man. So really quick, so, Lauren uh, mentioned to me that uh, you and and just like mathematically, so you were a police officer during 9-11. I don't want to get like yeah. too too deep into this, but I just want to know like, so can you talk about it a little bit? Like what yeah. was your experience? Because um, Lauren yeah. and I are young enough to where we, we experienced it, but like we On remember the, yeah. we were kids. We were- How old are you guys? Yeah. So I'm 26. 
Yeah, I'm 28. So I watched oh. it in elementary school on the television. I snuck in, all my teachers were watching it, and I shouldn't have been in there, and I watched it. But it didn't make sense. You know, I knew it was scary. Right. We lived on an Air Force base. And, yeah, we saw um, it on the yeah. TV and stuff. Yeah. Like, understanding it, yeah. Okay, so my my office at that time was in the Bronx, and, you know, uh, Ground Zero was lower Manhattan. So mm-hmm. that particular day was a Tuesday, and um, I had court that day. So I came in at seven o'clock in the morning. I was supposed to be down in Manhattan, which Manhattan criminal court is literally blocks from the trade center. And I locked some guy up for changing VIN numbers on stolen cars and he was going to flip. So what we were going to do that morning was my sergeant and I were going to go down there with the district attorney. We we're going to pull him out of jail with his defense attorney. And he was going to give us information. There was a guy, somebody working in the Harlem DMV that was pumping mm-hmm. out bad driver's license. So we we're going to use this guy as an informant. So we had to be at Manhattan criminal court by 9 a.m. And I'm in the Bronx office waiting on my sergeant and he comes through the door. He's an hour late. And I'm like, come on, dude, we got to go. We're going to be late. We're going to piss everybody off. He's farting around, dragging his ass. And uh, our office was on the second floor of a housing building, uh, housing police. So one of the housing cops ran upstairs and says, put the television on. A plane just hit the World Trade Center. Mm. So we're Mm. watching it and we're not sure because you've got three major airports in the New York City area. So we Mm -hmm. weren't sure if, you know. A pilot had a heart attack or you got little yeah. airports over there, too. Right. The second plane hit. So then obviously we knew it was terrorism. We were told mm-hmm. to get into uniform and stand by. And um, by 1, 1 30 in the afternoon, I was down there walking around. Mm-hmm. And it was like something out of a science fiction movie. So you had all this debris. The closer you got to the Trade Center, the more difficult it was to see because the sunlight was having difficulty going through all the dust and mm-hmm. asbestos particles that was flying around. Um, they gave us these little bullshit paper masks that you would get at Home Depot if you were going to demo your bathroom. It wasn't like, you know, right. Something yeah. Involved. You need much more than that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And as, I think we were coming down Broadway. Um, the whole I mean, the whole neighborhood all over Manhattan was just covered in this 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 toxic dust. And the one thing I'll never forget is seeing thousands upon thousands of pairs of women's high heel shoes. Because mm. you had all these women that worked in the Wall Street area and in the Trade Center. Mm-hmm. So when they were fleeing, they were like, apparently you can't run in heels. They were like, this. they threw their heels and they ran out of there. So just I just remember yeah. seeing like thousands right. of shoes in the dust. And when we got up to the pile, you know, ground zero, it was like something out of a science fiction movie. Like, I felt like a child. You know, when you're a kid and you see something and your mind just doesn't know, like, I can't believe what I'm processing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And there was all sorts of crazy shit going on. Like, there was a guy that walked past us while we were down there in a fucking space suit. With, I think it was a Geiger counter. And we're like, is he with the government? Like, who the fuck is yeah, this what? guy? Like, is yeah. he from the government or is it some guy from New Jersey that had a Geiger counter and was like, oh, today's the day. Right, like, right. Geiger God. counter. Um, the facade from the building, like that, um, it kind of looks like an erector set, that metal with slits in it. Uh-huh. A hunk of it had fallen thousands of feet and it embedded itself in front of the um, the pile. And we're just looking at it. And I always tell, I mean, you guys are all young, but the original movie, The Planet of the Apes, that's how oh, I yeah. felt at oh, the yeah, end I've of the movie. Yeah. When you see the Statue of Liberty head uh-huh. on the beach and they're like, holy so shit, odd. is that yeah, what basically. I fucking think it is? Yeah. So it was a wild time. I mean, I was down there from 1.30 in the afternoon until about 5.30 in the morning. Oh, um, oh gosh. Go home, run your clothes through a washing machine and be back at work at 5.30. And I did that for about a week. Then when <sighs> they started going through the pile, we were doing bucket brigades. So we were like ants. Picture like... 
40, 50 cops in a line. Well, cops, construction workers, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. firemen, first responders. It. Yeah. Yes. And we're going down with buckets and, you know, someone at the top gets a bucket that's coming down. This is before they started bringing in the heavy machinery. Right. I was doing that for a while. And then since I worked in the auto crime division, when they started b- pulling things up with heavy machinery, there was an old abandoned um, landfill out in Staten Island that they reopened. And uh, they were sending us out there. And since I worked in auto crime, when the cars and trucks were going out there, they were using they were using us with like the jaws of life to cut open these vehicles to mm-hmm. see if there was anybody who had perished inside. Right. So I was in the dump for a while. And then they pulled us off and we went back to fighting crime after about a month or so. Wow. Wow. That's uh, that's very yeah. that's emotional. Very. I, I can't imagine having yeah. to do that and see all the all the horrific things that actually happened. But thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, but by, yeah. by the time nine, I mean, nine eleven was terrible. Don't get me wrong, but by the time that had happened, I had like thirteen or fourteen years in as, as a cop and a detective, mm-hmm. and I had seen some horrific shit. So, right, you to compartmentalize things. It's like a, it's like mm-hmm. a, a fuse or 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 a, a turn it off. Yeah, yep. you say to yourself, okay, this is really bad. Going to pieces is not an option. I have to right. fight mentally oh, sorry. And get through this and go home yeah mm-hmm. that, well that's and it's, it's what happened right you see you see i can't only imagine crazy stuff this is just on a larger scale it's like all right we're just doing it again turn off right. that switch of you yeah. know like you just have to work you just have you just had to do it Gotta i mean it's not it, like yeah. you're gonna call in sick but yeah well um, my wife and i wild. uh when we were in new york we went to the ground zero and we and we went through everything and and, and i i've I always wanted to like talk to someone who was actually uh, like uh, there during when that happened, right? Because you know I've seen documentaries and I was there, but I'd, I've never spoken to a police officer or a firefighter that was like there, there. So I just wanted to know about your experience. And and honestly, like like Lauren said, you know, we really we're grateful that you uh, that you chose a career that you were uh, there to serve people and help people and those kind and of truly wanted to help people and wanted yeah. to help people. Yeah. yeah, you know, you get scumbag people that are just there because whatever, but. But it seems like you really did want to um, serve oh, your yeah. community. And, and Well, you know what is, we, yeah. you know, we really, it was bigger than all of us. We didn't know if there were people, tri- but after a couple of days, everybody kind of figured out that no one was coming back from that. Mm-hmm. No one wanted to say that out loud, but it was, if you yeah. were down there, you would know. Yeah. Nobody was getting out of that. Mm-hmm. Mm, powerful. Um, I, James, did you have another question? I, no, I didn't. I just, I, I, that was okay. one of the things I specifically wanted to yeah. ask you about because it's yeah. a, kind of a once in a lifetime experience for us. So. Right, right. Did you deal a lot I'm, with, uh, you said mafia. Was it like a lot of Italian mafia, Irish? Was it like all of the above? A little bit of here and there, like, what was it most that you? Well, that all right, you so with? in New York, you had the five families, right? Mm-hmm. You had five Italian mafia families, and they were all into, you know, they were all into stolen autos. The Gambinos, a lot, were the biggest involved in it, and uh, the Genovese were in, no, not Genovese. Uh, the Lucchese's were into cars a lot, so they were mostly in Brooklyn and Queens. I worked in the Bronx office, but it's a hundred and twenty person unit, so. If the Queens major case team had something going on a big organized crime figure, then we were going after Queens, you know, to supplement them. Mm-hmm. Um, our Queens office did a case and and put John Gotti's um, son-in-law in jail for nine or ten years. And wow, basically, uh, if you have, if you follow baseball where Shea Stadium used to be, now it's City Field. The whole neighborhood in back of that mm-hmm. is called Willits Point, and it sits on Jamaica Bay. And that neighborhood at the time, I don't know what it is now. I'm out of New York 15 years. But back then, 
the whole that whole neighborhood was body shops, junkyards, salvage yards, glass places, window tinting, anything for your car, motors, engines. For you to operate in that neighborhood, you had to kick up money to John Gotti's son-in-law. Basically, mm. he ran that place. So what our Queens office did was we rented an abandoned junkyard. We put in a couple of undercover detectives. We put in a trail and we filled it with, with cars and we waited. And we thought that um, Gotti's son-in-law was going to send a couple of bruisers over there to tell us how it was. But he showed up, which we couldn't believe. He walked into the trailer, which was like, you know, a movie studio. and was like, yeah. oh, you know who I am? What the <laughs> f***, you know, telling us how it is. So before you knew it, we were in bed with him and... We were paying, I forget what the protection money was, but then we were involved in the scam. So if you own a junkyard in New York, when you're going to take apart a car that comes in, it's got to be on a concrete slab. They don't want the waste oils going into the into the ground. You're supposed to put the transmission fluid in one place. Mm -hmm. another. Nobody does that. So you're supposed to have a company that works with the EPA that takes your oils out. Well, Carmine had this woman that owned this bogus company that you would pay her $150 a month and she would give you a receipt like she was collecting your waste oil and right. you were pumping it into Jamaica Bay. So oh my gosh. all sorts of scams and with the, the private carding, taking the garbage out, which was all bullshit. So basically, when we took that case down, I mean, you know, our Queen's office put him away for nine years. Wow. That's wild. That's, yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. You think it's all about like uh, just collecting money and here they are just destroying the environment and that really if we learned anything from this is the greatest crime of all <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I'll, I'll tell you i'll tell you a funny story about that case so our again i were i only did minimal work on this case but it's pretty funny so our our queen's office was running this case with the queen's district attorney's office which was going to prosecute it so the fbi catches wind of this and um they come around and they start you know going to queen's district attorney's office and they say hey We've got something on Carmine. I think it was a tax evasion thing, and we'd like to pull resources. And the Queens District Attorney's Office tells them, no, thanks, but no thanks. Well, somehow, some way, a story gets leaked to the major newspaper that the federal government has a case on John Gotti's son-in-law. So now he panics. He reads his name in the paper, and he's like, oh, shit, someone's talking. I got a problem. So he starts smacking his people around, getting them in line like, hey, if they convene a grand jury, you don't know anything. You better not flip. You better keep your mouth shut. So two guys that he was particularly nervous about, he brought them into his junkyard, a scrap metal processor, brought them into his trailer. And while they were getting the daylights beat out of him and smacked around, he had his guys <laughs> come with heavy equipment and take their cars and put it in car crushers. And when they came out of the trailer all tuned up, their cars were cubed. <laughs> oh my! So like, oh, okay. yeah, so like this guy's Mercedes was like the size of a desk. You, you know what I mean? Oh like, my gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, these are the people you know we we were dealing with. That's like something from Beverly Hills Cops or something. Like, like that does not even sound real. The cube car. That's oh my. The banana in the tailpipe is what that sounds like. Oh my god. <laughs> um, I have so I would just looking at your books and everything. I think we have time for a couple more stories, James. Do you yeah, no. have your in-laws? Uh, okay. wait, um, no, they're gone, so we're good. I oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, okay, sorry. I didn't pizza. Mm, love pizza. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. so I, I saw one of your books. Hold on, let me pull up the title. Confessions of a Catholic High School Graduate. Do you have any 
this sounds so fascinating. <laughs> this book. Do you have any funny stories? It doesn't even have to be from that. You went to Catholic oh, yeah. school. Is yeah. that, that sounds wild. So confessions of a Catholic high school graduate. And on the cover, you got a picture. That's me. It's a picture of a kid in a Catholic high school uniform getting chased out of a confession booth, which really happened to me. No, I oh wasn't molested, goodness. but I was a little son of a bitch. And I went <laughs> to public school. When you told him, was it, it was it just so disgusting he couldn't even take it anymore? He was like, get the fuck out of here. No, it wasn't a, disgusting. No, it wasn't, it wasn't, I, I didn't say anything disgusting. What happened was I we got to the church late. I lied to get my foot in the door. I was farting around. And when the priest asked me why we were late, I said, my father got a flat tire coming over, which didn't happen. And I realized <laughs> okay. lying 10 minutes before you go into confession is a bad way to start off. But right. I had to get my foot in the door. And he was an old drunk and he was mad. He, I, he was probably missing his supper. And probably about the third sin in, like, I was disrespectful. My grandma, like, nickel and dime shit. Every time yeah. he jumped my throat. So after about the third or fourth sin, I was like, look, Father, you don't want me here. I don't want to be here. Can I just leave? We'll call it a day. And he went ape shit crazy. And he started yelling <laughs> screaming. And my younger brother was outside the confession booth laughing, which made it worse. And when I was trying to push to get out the door, my brother had his weight up against the door. So oh I had to get the door gosh. shot and I knocked my brother on his ass. The priest come running out of the confession booth. So we started hightailing it through the church and <laughs> he opened the church up to let us back in. I saw her return the lights on. So I had to put some distance between him and me because if he made it outside to my dad who was waiting in the car, my father would have hung me on a cross. So I shut the <laughs> lights off in the church and me yeah. and my brother escaped. And a couple of days later, when I went to make my confirmation, he came into the classroom and it was like a <laughs> lineup. He like looked around and goes, I'd like to have a word with that young man. He dragged me down the hallway and threw me in another classroom and he beat the f out of me. Like I remember, oh throttles, I remember getting throttled against the wall and I was in a kiddie classroom. And as I'm getting my ass kicked, I look, I'm looking over his shoulder and I see like, Written in cursive, the ABCs. Yeah. And I oh kind of focused on that. It's like A, B, C. Nothing like a come to Jesus moment, getting beat by a priest. That is oh wild. Yeah, so confession and to a Catholic high school graduate, it's just, it's about growing up in the Bronx. Um, my parents' decision to send me to Catholic high school, which was probably the best thing in the world for me. I, need stru I needed structure. My uh -huh. dad was a butcher and worked for a wholesale meat place, which I didn't know was owned by the mob. And uh, there's a story in there. I'm like 13 years old and my father sends me to the second floor to go pick something up, get some equipment or something. As I'm going up these concrete stairs, a man comes rolling down the concrete step. Oh my Jesus. And he's, oh, laying in the bottom, he's laying in the bottom of the stairs. His fingers are all broken. He's got blue paint oh, on no. his mouth. And he's like, help, help me. And these two, <laughs> Carmine and Anthony, are coming down the stairs laughing. And they're like, oh, Vic, don't worry about him. He's an old friend of ours. And I'm like, <laughs> They picked the guy up. And wow. the guy is looking at me, help me, help me. They dragged him <laughs> out of the store. And they threw him in the street like garbage, right? Oh, my. <laughs> my and dad's how old? Me. Huh? How old are you at this point? I'm like 13. So I run up. <laughs> Classic. Meet in the back. And I go, Dad. I go, Carmine and Anthony just beat the fuck out of a guy and threw him in the street. And my father goes, just, just keep working. I'll find out what happened. So later that day in the car ride home, because we lived in the Bronx, we're going over the bridge. I'm like, Dad, what happened with that guy that got fucked up upstairs? So my father goes, he's a shoplifter. And he got caught once before. And they smacked him around. They told him never to come back. Said today, they caught him with a, a slab of ribs down his pants. So Carmine and Anthony brought him upstairs to the second floor. They beat his ass. 
Well, they put his hands in a vice and they broke his hand. Oh, and then the man. guy started Ooh. screaming. He wanted to drink a water. So they poured a cup of paint down his throat and threw him down the stairs. Oh, my, oh <laughs> my God. So, yeah. So there's a lot. There's a couple of mob stories in that book. Here and there. Then another time. Then another time. Funny story. I was a kid and they gave us raffle tickets, right? I'm in freshman year of high school. My mother is on my ass to sell these f-ing things, right? And I sell, the first 50, I sell to a bunch of drunks in a bar, this Irish old donkey <laughs> bar. And Perfect. my mother is like, I, I'm not telling my parents I'm doing this, right? I'm just telling them I'm going around the neighborhood. Yeah, they're uh, just sold, yeah. Yeah, well, my mother, my mother's like the wolf of Wall Street. Well, go out, <laughs> you'll look good. So I'm like, I don't want to sell these things. So I get another $50 worth of raffle tickets and I go to the donkey bar again and they tell me to get the out. So I'm like, shit, where am I getting rid of these things? I remember there was an Italian bar that always had like these, these gunships parked outside, right? Uh-huh. The place had the Italian flag on the roof. So I go in and it's, it's a mob bar. You know what I mean? It's like, you got wow. guys. Yeah. But you just got to say your last name is Ferrari and they're going to let you in immediately. They can't oh, say no to you. They didn't want me in there. As soon as I walked in there, <laughs> So I just I want to sell some raffle tickets. Yeah, I sold fifty dollars worth of raffle tickets in a mob bar, and like, I hand a guy a pen, and he goes, "What's this?" I go, "Well, you gave me forty dollars." I go, "Here." I says, "I need your name and address." I didn't know mobsters didn't fill out tax returns. <laughs> yeah. The guy tells me the bartender tells me Ronald and Reagan, get the fuck out of the bar. Yes. So I walk out with unsigned <laughs> raffle tickets and forty bucks. Right. So I signed my name and address on all of them because I think I'm going to oh. a basket of cheer, which I didn't know what a basket of cheer was. Uh-huh. So my dad sees the raffle ticket stubs and the money and he's flipping through it. He sees Vic Ferrari, Vic Ferrari, Vic Ferrari. So he's like, get down here. He thought I oh, stole gosh. money. And he's like, um, where, where did you get this money from? And I says, the guys at the bar gave it to him. He goes, what bar? And I told him, he goes, in <laughs> mine? He goes, you want to get your throat cut? He says, oh, that's it. No more raffle tickets that's it that is amazing oh my god that is so awesome oh my gosh that's scary cow just this child coming in to sell raffle tickets (laughs) get your raffle ticket (laughs) so that the priest don't beat my ass Get your it's funnier t- than that. With, with, with this more of that story, but when I was leaving the mob bar with the raffle tickets, there was a meter mate outside, a traffic enforcement agent. We call him meter mate, and yeah. he was writing mm-hmm. the Guinea gunships parking tickets. So I'm a little smart ass. I know what's going to happen. I go back into the bar, and they tell me get the fuck out. And I go, there's a meter mate outside, and I hear fuck. So I'll come running smart. outside. They're arguing with the guy. The next thing I know, they're smacking around the parking meter guy. They take his book oh my God. because after they gave him a beating, all their license plates are in his book. So after they gave him a beating, they they took his his book and they <laughs> go in oh different directions. And he's sitting there in the curb, like holding his head. Like I'm just doing my job, guys. Can you? Oh my god! Oh my gosh! Do you have any one last favorite story you love to tell? Wild or not wild? What anything do you guys want to hear? I mean, I've got so many stories. I mean, oh, what do you guys I mean, want to hear? I if, it, if it's up to me, I, I say that in like a month or two, we revisit this and do another episode because this has been oh, for sure gold. I mean, this is hilarious. I'm crying. Oh, you can't hear me gold. laughing because I am I got, crying. Okay, laughing. I'll, run, I'll, I'll give you a couple of choices. I got okay. I got embarrassing moments. I've got Portuguese Elvis. I've got fat bast- um sickness, health, fat bastards. Um, I got to hear the embarrassing moments. I love a the, good. Yeah. Okay. Like, I have so many of those too. So right. we got to hear the early nineties. I'm riding around in the Bronx with my old partner and we were getting killed with these cab robberies. 
So a gypsy cab drives past us and I see three guys in the back seat and one of them's hanging over the front seat with his face to the driver. I tell my partner, I go, follow that cab. Let's just see if he's getting robbed. Next thing you know, the cab starts <laughs> wow. burning lights. So the guys in the back seat are telling the cab driver, don't stop for the police will kill you. We get oh, the car from traffic. My partner and I approach from the back, run up to the back seat of the car. In the back seat of the cab, you got three and they're passing around a shopping bag. The bag tears open and there's four kilos of coke in the back seat. Oh, so mm. we pull them out, throw cuffs on them. We bring them into the station house and everybody's coming up to me, like blowing smoke up my ass. Like you're going to narcotics. I'm walking around with the kilos of coke. Like <laughs> yeah. I fucking love the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I did this. I did this. Right. So I'm <laughs> Scarface. Puffed up. Exactly. I'm puffed He's not up. He's snorting right? it, Jake. No, I'm just saying no, you have no, that much no, coke. Sample. Let me sample. <laughs> Hold on, is this, let me try to get, okay, yep, hold on one more time. So the coke coke. goes to the lab, coke goes down to the lab, the bad guys go down to Bronx Central Booking. That night, I'm tasked with, I got to go down to Bronx Criminal Court, I got to sit down that evening with a a district attorney and file a complaint, write up charges for how I stopped them and the coke and everything, okay? The Bronx Courthouse area is a Mm -hmm. shitty neighborhood. Once they're done banging their gavels by about five o'clock, everybody gets out of Dodge. So there's no real place to eat, except about a month before I made this arrest, they opened up a food court across the street. So I said, great, I'm going to celebrate. I go into this food court. You know, you got an Asian woman with bourbon chicken on toothpicks and shit. <laughs> shit. They had this a little Italian restaurant. So I get chicken parm and spaghetti. I'm sitting in this empty food court. And I'm like, this is great. You know, I'm just so puffed up. Pumped and all up, of a yeah. sudden, I got to take a dump. Mm. And I'm like, okay. oh, shit, I got to go. Now, the bathroom across the street, the courthouse, a fucking dungeon. It's disgusting. There's no toilet paper. I'm like, you know what? This place, the food court's got a brand new bathroom. It's probably like a fucking cathedral in there. Mm-hmm. I go into the men's room. There's no one in there. It's very clean. I go into the stall. I take off my gun belt. I hang it on the hook on the front door. Oh, no. Drop my pants. I'm in uniform. I drop my pants. I'm getting ready for liftoff. <laughs> and I fucking hear the front door of the bathroom kick open and a bunch of teenagers run in. Oh, oh no. They're hitting the fucking hand dryers. They're playing with the sinks. They're knocking over the garbage cans. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a cop, but I got my fucking pants down to my knees. I'm a little vulnerable. I right. better get the fuck out of here. All of a sudden, it gets quiet. And I'm saying to myself, did they leave? Or did they see my legs underneath the stall and, and decide to knock it off? Let me hurry up. So for whatever reason, something told me to look up. And when oh, I no. looked up, one of the teenagers went into the stall next to me, jumped up on the bowl, and was <gasps> hanging over the side of the partition trying to grab my gun belt. Oh, so, my. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, this so sounds I like. Jump up. So I jump up with my left hand trying to pull up my pants. With my right hand, I grab the little fucker by the neck and I pull him. <laughs> Well, when I pull him, I pull him closer to my gun belt, and he grabs my gun belt with two hands. Now I let go of my pants down to the floor, right? I'm fucking hitting it with my left. I'm a righty, but I'm hitting it with my left, and I'm like, let go of the fucking gun belt. His friends run into the next stall, and now I'm in a fucking tug of war with this kid's body. With your pants down. And with my naked. pants down to my <laughs> So finally, he lets go of the gun belt, and you know, like those bullshit aluminum walls, like it bucked. Like the yeah, whole yeah, thing. yeah. They pull him over the wall. The thing collapses. Oh I pull oh up my, my pants. I put on my gun belt, right? 
I go charging out into the food court and there's like a 300 pound porter with like a floor buffer machine with a Sony Walkman on. I get my hands in front of him. I go, take that off. So he takes it off. I go, did you see some kids run through here? Typical Bronx fashion. No, I see nothing. Yeah. And like I write in the book, what was I supposed to do at that point? Call the police on myself? If I would have gotten on the radio <laughs> and called the 13 and then the cops got there and I would have said, what happened? They tried to steal my gun. Well, had they tried to steal your gun? I would have been the fucking laughing stock of the Bronx. So I decided to keep that story it. to myself until 30 years later when I wrote that chapter. That's, That's fucking perfect. hilarious. Oh, man. Oh I hope, gosh. I hope one of those kids found that book and read it. Like, that was fucking me. I was trying to take <laughs> his gun. That's so good. Nah, they're it's all so... dead or in jail. I can guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. That happened like 91, 92. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought, I thought you were going to say when you took it off and put it up there that they reached over and it shoots. And no, no, I didn't. Guns don't just discharge. But I was going to. I, oh, I thought, thought he would have shot get, it get your gun bell. I thought he was going to take it and run and you have to chase him with your pants down. At least you didn't yeah. have to take off down the... Could have happened. He was trying to. Yeah. yeah. Could have happened. Man, well, thank yeah, you man. so much. This has been great. Can, um, can, I, just, you... can I just plug my books and tell you yeah, what yeah, we, yes, we're going to Yes, that's what I'm going to say. Tell us your Instagram. Tell us where people can find you, where you're selling your books, all that good stuff. Okay, so all my paperbacks are 10 bucks. I try to keep the price point low and, mm -hmm. and ebook downloads $2.99. If you just go on Amazon, go to the book section and type in Vic, V-I-C, Ferrari, like the car. My my uh, my my Amazon author page will come up. Get, you can preview, preview all my books for free. They make great $10 stocking stuffers. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Instagram and Twitter at VicFerrari50. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. And if no, someone's going to start guys. with one of your books, which one do you recommend to start with? The first. I would I would go with I would go with NYPD Lauren Disorder. I mean, uh, that that's the way it opens up with embarrassing moments. And there's more to that story with me about my pants down on my ankles, or you might mm -hmm. want to go to Grand Theft Auto, the NYPD's Auto Crime Division, where I walked in and broke up a cockfighting ring. Wow! Oh my gosh! That's <laughs> next right time. In. I I'm had sorry. no idea. That's a <laughs> fighting cocks against the wall. It was, it, oh my gosh that's wild i had no crazy. idea what i'm getting into again nick thank you so much for coming uh, onto our podcast this has been an absolute like ride and a half and I, I hope we get to do it again um yeah everyone make sure you go follow him buy his books they the cover art's hilarious i mean i need to read one but i based on half these stories they're fucking hilarious so definitely go buy perfect a book for christmas time guys yeah perfect for christmas perfect time. for christmas um lauren do you have anything else you want to you want to say or you want to plug that's no that's it thank you so much Vic. this has been great yeah, this has Seriously. been awesome <laughs> we appreciate you yeah we Thank appreciate you, you and, Thanks, and your lauren. service absolutely yeah all right guys uh text me if you want to hang out and uh we'll we'll see you next week let them know bye bye <laughs>